You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. No, just stop. Get some help. Obviously surprised. Um, you know, didn't see it coming. The lie detector test determined that was a lie. And what a beautiful stretch. Here's Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford and his bruff. Record scratch. It's not actually bruff. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview, Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. It's Jamie Dodd. In attendance today, filling in for Jason Bruff on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Jamie. What's up, man? How's it going? Uh, I am well. My headphones are not working appropriately, but that's fine. I'll battle that's through because right. I'm a warrior. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to be working with you for the next three days. Yes. I don't usually do the guest host thing. I'm a bit of an iconoclast. That's what they call me. That's what they say. But that's, I mean, what, that's what everyone says around the station. They call you lots of other things. That too. iconoclast, yeah. Mike Halford. <laughs> right. That's one also, of the more polite things they say. I, I, also, a gigantic jag off. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, we're going to be doing this for the next three days. So I'm very excited to have you in the co hosting chair along with me. We have a lot to get to on the show today. Before we do any of it, need to say good morning to A Dog. A Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Uh, today, we are in our one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online, won't you, at everythingfinancial.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Okay, what's happening on the program? You may want to know at 6.30, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN is going to join us, our NHL insider. A lot of focus on the Edmonton Oilers. Of course, yesterday, first game under new head coach Chris Knobloch, a 4-1 win over Bo Horvat and the Islanders, who will be here on Wednesday to take on the Vancouver Canucks. We'll talk to Wish about all that at 6.30. 7 o'clock, uh, second-time guest on the program, J.P. Acosta from SB Nation's NFL coverage. Uh, we will discuss what turned into a moderately entertaining and interesting Monday night football game between the Buffalo Bills and the Denver Broncos. In case you missed it, don't look now. Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos have won three straight games. Also, don't look and look very far away if you're a Buffalo Bills fan. They lost again. They dropped to 5-5. Five and five. So, J.P. Acosta is going to join us at 7 o'clock for that. 7.30. How many times have we had Spec on the show in the last, I don't know, two weeks? Collectively on the station. He's a part owner at this He's point. He's more or less a, a guest host at this point. I think. Yeah. So, and once again, we got him back. He has to say yes. He works for Sportsnet. So, Spec's going to join us at 7.30 to talk about everything that's gone on in Edmonton. The narrative now in Edmonton isn't just that the coaching change happened, but it's that Connor McDavid yeah. is pulling all the strings from behind the scenes, and Connor McDavid does not care for that character assassination that he's getting, even though he assassinated maybe his own head coach. <laughs> well, I, I can get where McDavid's coming from, though. I would be ticked off. If, if it wasn't, if he's actually not pulling the strings, right, and everyone's like, like, who knows? Maybe he didn't like his junior coach. So <laughs> Maybe the, he's like, oh, this guy again? The wrinkle to all of it, I think, is that whether or not he orchestrated these moves, the optics around it yeah, oh are yeah. bad. So if at the very least, if he's not happy about the moves that were made, 
then he's got to be even more upset about whoever orchestrated them. And then he would be like, did you not see this coming? Like, everyone's going to blame me for this. Like, what are you doing? Ken Holland, Jeff Jackson, who, by the way, is his former agent. Not that that has anything to do with this. So 7.30, Speck's going to join us to talk about all that from Edmonton. 8 o'clock, uh, Brendan Batchelor, the play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks. We are now one day away, one more sleep away from Boa-Palooza. Horvat mania, however you want to classify it. Did you or say Boopalooza? No. no I'm, see, I'm not going to go there. We discussed this yesterday. What is going to be the appropriate response for Bo Horvat? We'll talk about that with Batch at 8 o'clock. So, working in reverse, uh, 8 o'clock, it's Brendan Bachelor. 7 30, Mark Spector. 7 o'clock, JP Acosta. 6 30, Greg Wyshynski. It's a loaded show. We have a lot to get into. So, without further ado, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What happened? What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. We will begin, Jamie... With news out of Vancouver Canuck land, Jack Stadnika for the second time this year, which is impressive because the season is only about seven weeks old, uh, has been placed on waivers yet again. This does mark, as I mentioned, the second time that Stadnika has been placed on waivers for the purpose of getting him down to AHL Abbotsford. Has not been a regular contributor to the team over the last five games. He's been a healthy scratch. What this means is presumably someone on their way up to replace the injured Carson. Yeah. And we'll see. We haven't got an update on Carson Susie's status yet. So it's, it's possible that he's good to go for the game on Wednesday. We'll wait and see. And maybe this is just a, a desire to have a little bit of extra cover just in case, but certainly you look, you know, because they only have, uh, if Susie's injured, they only have the six healthy defensemen on the roster. And then they're, they're also, be missing a left shot defenseman, right? So you look at Abbotsford. My guess, and this is purely a guess, would be that I love guesses. Christian Willannon would be the guy coming up. Okay. Left shot defenseman uh, among the, le- the the team leaders in scoring in Abbotsford. And I know, you know, Akita Hirose started the season in Vancouver. A lot of people are very excited about him. He's just, this is a win now team though, right? Like they're not going to give it to Hirose, I don't think, just because he's younger and has more upside. I think they're going to bring up the guy who can help them right away mm-hmm. based on their AHL performance. I think that's Christian Willannon, but we'll see where, where it goes. Hey dog, would you like a rebuttal here? You're the biggest Akito <laughs> Hirose fan I know. I mean, I've just been resigned to the fact that it's, it's prob- not going to be him. probably not going to happen <laughs> this year. And there we go. I'll move on um, somehow. Yeah, so there is an interesting jumping off point. All due respect to Jack Studnika and Christian Willannon, uh, bit players, replacement level guys at this stage of the game. What we're talking about really is how concerned people should be about the Canucks defensive depth. Susie is just sort of a a blueprint, a paradigm, an example of what could go wrong this season for a thin blue line, right? I think everyone understands this, and we've talked about it a lot on the show, is that having watched the league for long enough and knowing how these things work, injuries might, like, it's not a might or a maybe, it's a will. They're going to happen, probably more likely on defense, just because of the nature of the position. A position that the Canucks, one, aren't, adequately staffed with when healthy, I would say, to be an elite team in the NHL. When the injuries start to hit, do they have the depth? How big a concern should it be that they're going already to the likes of maybe a Christian Willannon or an Akito Hirose? I think it's definitely something that 
you would like to see addressed because you think about it. Okay. They, you know, the Mark Friedman, Ian Cole pairing that was successful. That was playing well, but then Friedman's minutes dropped off and then he actually comes out of the lineup for the game against Montreal. Noah Juleson comes in and that's kind of what happens with these depth guys or call up guys. You might get a run of five, six games where it looks really good, but can you really depend on that for, you know, two months, three months in a season? And I think if Susie does come out of the lineup, right, then all of a sudden you're in a situation where you probably have, you know, one of Friedman or Juleson and maybe will land in there as well. And all of a sudden, you know, Myers bumps up and he's your fourth defenseman now. And he's been playing really well, partly because he's been appropriately slotted as a, a, a five, six defenseman. And you, you just, the, the seams start to show a little bit more in a hurry, I think. And, you know, it's one thing again to have, okay, Mark Friedman, we're going to put him with Ian Cole. We're going to manage how we use him. We're going to get good minutes. It becomes so much harder to manage around those limitations when you have multiple guys like that in yeah. the lineup. That's the concern. Again, we've we talked about it multiple times, but one of the tenets and staples that we always come back to is it's not always necessarily the guys that have to jump into the lineup that are the ones that struggle. Yeah. It's the guys that suddenly have to take on a bigger responsibility that are there and have kind of gotten into a groove or a niche. And now all of a sudden it's, can you play extra minutes? Can you start uh, being a contributor mm-hmm. on special teams is quite frankly, some guys are like, no, I'm not good. At th- <laughs> I'm not good at those things. Don't make me do them. And I think that's going to be really interesting to watch because you mentioned it's not even necessarily about who comes up from the A. It's can Cole, can Myers, can other yeah. guys step up and do more things. All this said, Susie might play on Wednesday. Yeah, we, have we don't had, know. We have had absolutely no updates. It was a holiday yesterday. Everybody took the day off. Uh, the team will get back to its regularly scheduled programming today. And then, of course, tomorrow, Tomorrow is Boa Palooza. I'm still trying to workshop a proper name for this no, one. No, let's, let's go with that. You like Boa Palooza? I'm using that for social media now, so we got it. <laughs> right, that's, that's it. That's what We're it locked makes it official. In. We're yeah. locked in. Yeah, you can't change it now. Yeah, you can't delete anything off of X. Nope. Everything stays as it's is. there forever. So. Yeah, so we'll be talking a lot about that throughout the show. Of course, tomorrow, I think we'll probably dedicate almost three full oh, yeah. live hours of coverage in the morning to the Bo Horvat return. But I do want to move on to a couple things that happened last night uh, in and around the world of sports as we blast through what happened here uh, in Edmonton. Big day for the Oilers, big night for the Oilers and their new head coach, Chris Knobloch. The Edmonton Oilers won their first game under Knobloch 4-1 against the Islanders at Rogers Place on Monday. What a great coaching debut. He was able to unlock this team by saying, Connor McDavid, go score. And then Leon Dreisaitl, also go score. Both guys did. Because remember, prior to this game, McDavid was goalless in eight and uh, Dreisaitl had one in ten. So good on Knobloch for unlocking the secret to the Oilers, which is get your best players to play well. He also told the goalie to make a save. That was important. So that was big. I, I don't know why Woodcroft didn't think of that, but he was like, hey, Stuart Skinner, go, go, don't let in a bunch of weak goals. <laughs> Knobloch, go was, Knobloch was doing the tapping his temple <laughs> thing. Like, I, eh. I tweeted yesterday that like, Woodcroft, this job's easy. Woodcroft you got was it, looking Stu. at the box score just seething angry. Like, 30 plus saves. Where was that when I was there? 32 saves for in the win. Uh, you know what? I'm not usually a sentimental, emotional person, but there was a nice clip yesterday from Chris Knobloch talking about what the team did for him, both pre and post game. His first win as the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. Here now is the audio. Chris Knobloch following a 4-1 win over Bo, Bo Horvat and the Islanders. Did you get the game puck? Uh, where is it going and what does it mean for you to, to be able to, to get this first NHL win? Um, I did get the game puck. Um, it felt Incredible! It's going to be a souvenir. Um, I had a game puck um, on my desk before the game started, and I was like, "Oh, I've only got one. I've got two kids." 
And then we won, I got two, so now we can make everyone happy and um, maybe I won't have to tell them which one's the game puck and one's the, the souvenir puck. Um, and then after the game, they did something really special. They had on the uh, video on the TV, um, they presented the puck and um, yeah, they had my wife on the uh, TV just saying a few words and you know, that was, that was very nice of them to do. And now to ruin that very nice moment, we need to discuss Connor McDavid's sabotage in getting a new head coach in the door and, of course, already having his former agent in the general manager's booth. So we'll talk to Spec about this a little Mm -hmm. bit more at 7.30. But there is a narrative right now, and it kind of works on two levels. One is that everyone, and I'm jokingly talking about the saboteur that is Connor McDavid, but everybody talking about McDavid now pulling the strings in Edmonton. Is this like Messier and Keenan? All over again? Speck had that in his piece. Oh, did he? Okay, yeah, yeah, he had, that's the first he, thing I thought of. He alluded to, was this going to be exactly like Mark Messier back in Vancouver that's 25 hilarious. years ago or wherever it was? So, right now, the optics of it are, mm-hmm. they have a new president of Hockey Ops who looks as though he's ready to take over from Ken Holland as general manager. That guy is Jeff Jackson. That's Connor McDavid's former agent. They now have a new head coach in the mix. That guy is Chris Knobloch. That guy is Connor McDavid's former coach. So optically, it certainly looks as though he may have had some input. Now, Speck in his column said, that's not the case. That's not true. None of the players, McDavid included, had any idea this was coming. McDavid also got a little punchy with the media. Do you want to... Do, do you have it at the ready? I do have it Oh, at that's the ready. fantastic. Because he was asked about this several times. And he did push back uh, quite sternly about what he sees as the perception and what's the reality. I woke up to a text like probably a lot of you guys did as well. Um, You know, uh, I know the narrative out there, obviously, um, you know, but it couldn't be further from the truth. So someone just texted in unsigned. So it's from Gary Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. McDavid is now the LeBron James of the NHL. See, he hates this. McDavid, that is. LeBron has no idea who's McDavid is, so he doesn't care. But um, this is... It's such an interesting dynamic because, and we'll talk again, we'll talk to Speck about this at 730, but it sounds as though McDavid wants to be treated as just like any other mm-hmm, guy, just mm-hmm. one of the boys. And I almost think that's more naive than anything because there's no way that's ever going to happen. Well, and the LeBron comparison is interesting because I think it's much more open when LeBron is playing general manager, right? Which he has done at many points in his career, whether it's choosing a coach or making it clear that he wants a coach fired, you know, trades for teammates, whatever. I think LeBron is a lot more upfront about it than McDavid, you know, whether or not he was involved is being right now. I think the thing is I can, I can buy that, you know, McDavid wasn't tipped off that he didn't ask for Woodcroft to be fired. He wasn't consulted about Knobloch. I can buy all of that. But the thing is when it's your former agent making the decision, you had to when he was your agent, I guarantee you they had plenty of discussions about Jay Woodcroft and Chris Knobloch. So you didn't need to be consulted in the moment for yep. Jeff Jackson to be taking your thoughts into consideration. And again, I think that dynamic could be frustrating for Connor McDavid. Yeah, because it's like, well, yeah, what do you of course I talk to my agent yep. about my coach and coach's past. Like he's my agent. That's what I do. That's what he's there and for. now it's like that's almost being used against him for a decision he might not have uh, been involved in. I also think if you're the Oilers. And you are, okay, we're going to bring in Chris Knobloch. If part of the thought process was we're going to bring in Chris Knobloch because we're worried about McDavid sticking around down the line and we really want to cater to him, you better hope, one, that they have a great relationship, and two, that Chris Knobloch is going to help them win games. Yeah. Because I don't think think bringing in 
McDavid's former junior coach is going to get him to stick around if you miss the playoffs the next couple of seasons. I, I don't think that's getting it done. I thought the analysis in the immediate aftermath was very interesting because it seemed as though a lot of people were taken uh, off guard by what happened, by what the hire was, why they went in this direction. I also think that everyone quietly acknowledged and now probably a little bit louder the fact that Chris Knobloch's never done this before. He's yeah. never been, he was an NHL head coach for a handful of days back with the Rangers when David Quinn went in COVID-19 protocol. That's all that he's had experience-wise. And you're saying, well, wait a minute. Generally speaking, there's some bumps in the road for a new head coach as he tries to learn and figure it out and gain that experience that all these other guys have. Are the Oilers in a position to have a guy learn on the yeah. job? Because I don't know if you're aware of this or not in listener land, they are near dead last in the NHL. Like they need a guy that's going to come in and turn it around in a hurry, not a guy that might need a couple weeks to figure out the lay of the land. Now we'll say this. It's off to a great start. They took care of Horvat and the Islanders yesterday. Um, not necessarily with ease, but it was a 4-1 victory. And a lot of positives in game one for the guy. McDavid gets back on the sheet. Dreisaitl has a huge night. He had a goal and three assists. And I think most importantly, and you alluded to it as well, Laddie, like Stuart Skinner had 32 saves. Yeah. Right? That's a big thing for them moving forward because he's going to be carrying the load. He'll be carrying the mail. And it's going to be on him to try and see this thing so that they can get back into playoff contention. And he's their best and easiest way out of this jam is if they just figure out what Stuart Skinner's all about, make him get right back on track, and that's easier than going out and acquiring somebody. So the other game in the NHL last night, because it was Hockey Hall of Fame night, it was a late night on the schedule, but the Colorado Avalanche absolutely bombed the Seattle Kraken 5-1 at Climate Pledge Arena, not Climate Change. They don't name arenas after climate change. <laughs> <They don't. laughs> yeah. Climate Pledge Arena. I think they should rename it again to Climate Change Arena. Though. I've also called just it to Lem- make it easier for I've you. I've also called it Lemon Pledge Arena, yeah. which is another no, one as well. No, climate no climate Change pledge. really stepped up and uh, paid paid a big price to get the naming rights. Uh, yeah. Like we, you know what? We need to improve our. Yeah, we, <laughs> we have renamed it Climate brand. Change Arena because yeah. building this arena caused climate change. People have a negative view of climate change, and we're you know we're going to spend some money to try yeah. to change is it. Us? Do we look bad pledge. publicly? There it is. Too good. We're just going to get everyone just lean into climate change and make it the most pollutable arena on earth. Just like. Smokestacks coming out the top. Still using <laughs> coal power. Yeah. So many styrofoam cups. They're yeah. non-biodegradable. Okay, focus. Focus. Uh, Miko Randon and Kale McCarr, a goal each. The only reason I'm really mentioning this game, uh, and Jamie, this is another thing that we've done quite a bit here, is hyper-focus on the teams that were in the playoffs yep. last year that are slowly edging their way out. So right now, Seattle is firmly, firmly in that conversation. Uh, they are 5-8-3. and three. They have lost four of their last five games. They have gotten off to a lousy start this season. It's been a weird mix of every time the defense and goaltending plays well, they can't get the scoring. And then when they do manage to find the back of the net, the goaltending tends to let them down. Right now, Minnesota, Seattle, and Edmonton, three playoff teams from a year ago, are looking at they're going to be in tough shape as the season goes along, as we get closer and closer to that magical uh, American Thanksgiving day when you really start to see who's going to be a playoff team or who's not. For the Vancouver Canucks, amazing development. Like, we've talked about the start from the Canucks perspective, Mm -hmm. but I think we need, collectively, throughout the station, need to start looking and hyper-focusing more on all these other teams that are falling way short of expectations. And here's another one for you. The Western Conference is terrible at hockey. Go look at the bottom of the NHL standings. 
Nine teams at the bottom. Seven of them are Western Conference teams. There are a lot of really bad teams. So not only do you have teams falling out of playoff position, you've also got teams where you're at the buffet and you're, let's eat, right? Let's get points off these guys. Let's take advantage of them early. I mean, God, the Canucks have already dominated the season series against Edmonton. It's been a huge part to the start. So I am... Seattle's going to be probably one that's going to hang around the fringes. Minnesota's a train wreck, too. We're going to talk to Wyshynski about that in a bit. I expect Edmonton to vault back. I just don't know how much. But I think it's a really interesting development. There's all these teams that are kind of hovering around non-playoff contention. Well, and coming into the season, I would have looked in the Canucks division at Seattle and Calgary as the two teams. Okay, you have finish ahead of them, and you have a very good chance of making the playoffs. They're kind of your peer teams. They're already 10 points up on Seattle, and Seattle's played an extra game, and they're 13 points up on the Calgary. Calgary Flames. And, you know, to your point about the Western Conference, just look at the teams in the wild card race and through the bottom of the standings in the West. <laughs> it's hilarious. Anaheim, man. St. Louis, Arizona, Seattle, Minnesota, Chicago, Nashville, Calgary, Edmonton, San Jose. Yep. Like, are you scared of any of those teams? Like, ooh, that, you know, that team, when they get rolling, don't worry, they're going to be, they're going to be really good. They have a chance to make up ground. Like, none of those teams strike fear into me as somebody who wants to see the Canucks make the playoffs. And like four of those teams would have to jump over them. Edmonton's the only team that I think has the capabilities of turning it on and going from being one of the worst teams in the NHL to one of the best. Outside of that, it's all about trying to get a cushion and trying to pad whatever lead that the Canucks have right now, especially on the Minnesotas and the Seattles of the world. I mean, Minnesota's been a perennial lock for the playoffs over the last decade. I think it's nine of the last ten years that they've been in. So you're almost, you kind of count them as being one of those punch-your-ticket teams. If they can fall off that's great you mentioned calgary and nashville in there as well don't forget those were the first two teams right outside of the playoffs last year so they were in the thick right up until the very end and they're off to bad starts as well so it's uh it's interesting times i'm very curious to see how things will play out over the next two weeks because again once we get to that american thanksgiving mark that's when things really start to get uh more drama filled and that's when you start to see moves being made around the nhl as well so i want to go one final thing before we go to break and turn it over greg wasinski I do want to talk about Monday Night Football last night. Laddie, do we have the audio ready here? It's a longer clip, but it kind of has to be because we have to listen to not one, but two Will Lutz field goal attempts. The first, a miss, but the second, redemption time for Lutz. It's good after the Buffalo Bills had too many men on the field for the first attempt. It was a 24-22 to win after Lutz hits for the Broncos. I want to play this out because... As weird as it sounds on audio, that's what it looked like on television last night at the end of the game in a gut punch loss loss uh, for the Buffalo Bills. Here now, the game-winning field goal sequence. It takes a little while. Bear with us, please. 41-yard drive for the win. Lutz. He missed it. But a flag is down. <laughs> Twelve men on defense. Five-yard penalty. Wow. Go fourth down. So with that quick change, the Broncos were ready, and the Bills had 12 men on defense. And we'll count them up. Uh, We're going to cover up the people. I don't even know where we're at. I don't know. Yeah, and 12. You got it. There's the 12 There's 12. Back there in the back, Terrell Bernard. So there were 12 men out there for the Buffalo wow. Bills. And this will move the ball inside the 20, and it becomes a 36-yard game-winning field goal attempt by Will Lux. 
There's nothing guaranteed. Good snap, good hold. Kick, perfect. And that was the end of the Buffalo Bills season. Well, not quite, but it very well could be. It drops into 5-5 five and five on the year. And I almost wanted to make it about the Denver Broncos a little bit because after that loss, the 70-20 to 20 loss in oh, Miami, yeah. they've won three straight and four of six since then. And you've got to look at them and say, hey, good on you. You've kind of salvaged your season. You've gotten back into the fringes of AFC playoff contention. But the real story here has got to be Buffalo, like snatching defeat from the jaws of victory somehow, somehow, Screwing up what was a gifted victory on a 41-yard mm-hmm. field goal, which is basically a chippy in the modern NFL. And now all of a sudden you look at them. They're 5-5. Five and five. Josh Allen leads the, interse- uh, leads the NFL in interceptions and turnovers because he fumbles the ball a lot too. Uh, is the Bills' Super Bowl window closed? And that's a scary proposition for that franchise because I will remind you, they've never won a Super Bowl. Yeah, not great. I, I also say I, I love uh, Joe Buck congratulating Troy Aikman on counting to 12. Yep. And that, hey, you got it. I think he patted him like on the back. Like he's a kid learning how to count. <laughs> hey, good for you, buddy. Yeah, you did it. He right, tussled his hair. <laughs> it was nice. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. We have a big Wednesday night right here in Vancouver with the return of Bo Horvat. We've spoken about everything regarding Bo, the trade. His season thus far, his captaincy, his legacy, and now we have to dive into the quote. Laddie, <laughs> do you have it at the ready? We've got this. Is it's funny? So when you were looking up the Bo Horvat audio, you actually had a Google autofill. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I typed in Bo Horvat to type in the clip, and one of the autocompletes was Bo Horvat tell you that for free. Was one of the autocompletes. So people have been looking up this clip quite often. It's part so, of his yeah, brand now. It is right, and for better or for worse, you do have to own the things that you say, especially as a professional athlete, especially when you played in a market like Vancouver. And for as long as he did, I'm sure he knew that those comments that he said were going to come back. For the record, just to clarify, let's hear exactly what the man said uh, shortly after his trade to the Islanders. Take it away, Laddie. How does this rank for you in playoff pushes, the excitement of this building and the fans' involvement over the last couple of games? Yeah, I mean, it's been unbelievable. It's a lot better than Vancouver, I'll tell you that for free. Thanks, Bo. Thank you. Guys. And the chuckle at the end. Okay, yeah, okay, he said it. He did it. How much... I'll tell you that for free. How much did I'll tell you that for free change his legacy, if at all? I mean, it definitely did, because we're having this debate about, is he going to get booed? Should you boo Bo Horvat? If he never says that, what's the case for booing him? You know what I mean? Like, there's There's zero. There's literally zero case for booing him. You would have to be. If that quote doesn't exist. You would have to be the pettiest person on (laughs) earth, which many of you texting into the Dunbar number text line are. But yeah, you're right. Like, this is not like normally when a player leaves and there's this bad blood. Like, think about Ryan Kessler, right? It's like, did he hamstring the team? Did he screw them over by, you know, exercising his no trade clause? Or Luongo with the my contract sucks, right? It's like, did normally it's because their departure hurt the team in some way, or you think their departure departure hurt the team in some way but people texted him the Skoka Mike texted him like why boo him we won the trade you know I don't think anyone is sitting here like oh man he really screwed us on his way out they used the assets to go get Philip Ronick. they couldn't sign him they didn't have the cap space that the writing was on the wall the only argument to boo Bo Horvat is if you were really really offended by him saying I'll tell you that for free so That's it. I will say that over the weekend Horvat began the healing process. 
He, he walked it back to a certain degree, and he addressed the remarks. And look, I mean, that's a rite of passage that anyone that scorns this fan base has to go through. Ryan Kessler had to, <laughs> Ryan Kessler had to go through it, yep. right? He had to go through the walk of shame with people throwing tomatoes at him. Like, that's just how it goes in Vancouver. I don't necessarily love it. In the case of Kessler, I did. I thought that was great. But in this particular instance, I don't love it. But I... Uh, I respect it, and I understand that a passionate fan base sometimes is going to lean in one direction or another quite aggressively. Sometimes the reaction will be overboard. Sometimes passion and emotion will overcome and will rule the day. Here's what Horvat said to Andrew Gross of Newsday. Quote. I'll tell you that for free. Oh, God. <laughs> While your timing is impeccable... It's thrown me off big time here. Bo did not say that. Sorry, Bo, carry on, carry Bo on. Bo will never utter the words, I'll tell you that for free again for the rest of his life because I don't think that that was anything that he anticipated being his tagline, but it is now. So anyway, here's what Horvat said to Newsday. I think the Vancouver fans were pretty upset with what I said last year. I think they took it more personal than I wanted them to take it. It wasn't directed at them. I was just more upset of how everything went down last year. When I heard him say it the first time, that was my first reaction. There's a guy who had a lousy last few months in a city that, for the most part, he grew to really enjoy and appreciated living here. But the exit was not pleasant because the team was horrible on the ice. He was the leader of it. He had obviously been made priority E, F, or G mm -hmm. on the list of things to do. And he knew that his time was up. And when he got to New York, it was good feelings and good vibes. And I believe that, that game where he did his walk-off interview, they won. So he was feeling better. That was the end of it. But unfortunately for him, and according to our Dunbar Lumber text message gym basket, a lot of people have not forgotten. Hey, Doug, you're a tried and true ardent Canucks fan. Where are you in this whole thing? Uh, yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I agree with Halford. I wouldn't boo him. He... Did the best that he could in his time in Vancouver with what he was given. He was as good of a captain as he could have been under the situation, and he scored a bunch of goals for the team. He was their best player many times. I feel like many times, many times, many games. Yeah. He was the best player on the ice for the Canucks. So I mean, yeah, I just no, I wouldn't boo him based on that one silly comment. Like as I feel Amy like it said, cheapens I the boos. Honestly, I feel like it yeah. makes booing someone less powerful and less... He didn't really do anything outside of that one comment. Yeah. I mean, yeah. as Jamie said, like five, ten years from now, we're not even going <laughs> to remember and what he. <laughs> well, sure, but but I think the it just out, seems so silly. Listening to the clip again, and this is what I thought at the time too. The out is that and now the question's a little muddled, but she first starts about asking him about playoff pushes. And in that context, I think clearly what he's saying is, yeah, playing for a team that's desperately trying to make the playoffs, that's like in the playoff race, has a legitimate chance at it, is better than a team that's out of the race by October, by the end of October. Like, that's ultimately what he's saying. And somebody texted in here, any legit Canucks fan would agree that the past decade sucked. I'll tell you that for free. And I mean, that's I don't think he was saying like, oh, yeah, I hated the fans in Vancouver. He was saying, yeah, it's nice to be in a team that's yeah. got a legitimate shot at the playoffs, which I think a lot of Canucks fans would agree. Wouldn't there be some embarrassment, though, that you were the captain of those teams? Like, why would you make a joke about that when you were the guy leading those teams that you're making fun of now that were out of it, like you That's said, by December? Fault, he's, he's, he supposed the together, he's, he's supposed to pretend together, that silly. it's just, it was just as fun. Doing death marches in Vancouver as it is. I don't know if you get to trot out there. Going for the playoffs. You don't get to take a victory lap when you were the guy at the head of the lineup. During those years, it's not a victory it's, it's lap. Weird to me. It's not now, a victory lap. This is an interesting conversation to have because you do bring up a point that 
When you're the captain, sometimes there's responsibilities and things that are foisted upon you that are, one, out of your control, and two, things that you have to shoulder that it just comes with the territory. It might be fair or not, but I don't think an NHL captaincy is a fair job to begin with. You are responsible for a lot more than is what's under your control. Yeah, but the way the team played isn't his fault. And the way the team was constructed wasn't his fault either. At the same time. And he was often the best player. At the same time, his legacy is going to be defined as kind of being a meh captain. Well, yeah. And that, yeah. like I said, That's, the most appro- if we want to really go meta, the most appropriate response you can have on Wednesday night at Rogers Arena is a polite, polite clap. golf clap. Yeah, you were saying yesterday, yeah. <laughs> and that that is, a nice little nod. He's going to yeah. be identified with a frustrating era of Vancouver hockey, and he yes. has to wear that. That's Absolutely. fine. Like, he did not single-handedly... and. It, 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 again, I don't think he was the problem. I think this idea that like Bo Horvat was the one holding back the development of a good team culture. I don't buy that. That's not but, fair. But again, he was he part of the solution? No. And that's fair to acknowledge. That doesn't mean he's a villain. That doesn't mean you have to boo him. It's just, yeah, he didn't turn the team around. That's it's not fair like to acknowledge Mark Messier that. here, right? Like, no. It's a completely different... No, 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 but you, not at that. It level. makes me say, "Hold on, wait a minute." When a guy like that goes elsewhere and then starts taking shots, though, right? Like it's it does make you pause for a second when you're like, "Hold on." I felt you were that, part of that. Group. I felt that the end of his tenure allowed him to be a little disgruntled at the very least, right? Because the way that it played out wasn't great mm-hmm. and not really befitting of a cat. If we're gonna have these conversations about the NHL and the sanctity and the sacredness of the captaincy and how much it means and what it means not just in the room but to the market and everyone else, then the way that it ended for him here, that's a tough one. Like how many captains who are leading the team in goal scoring get traded at the deadline, right? With a you know looming free agency on the horizon. Like it just doesn't happen all that often. But his captaincy, you gotta also remember too is he came in being sort of groomed for it by the Sedins mm-hmm. and coming in on the heels of one of the most respected and beloved leadership groups of all time. So in that regard, he was always going to be uh, a captain that was chasing the ghosts of the past regime and was never going to live up to it. No. It didn't matter what he did. Short of winning a Stanley Cup, he was always going to fall short of the previous captain. And that's a tough thing, right? I mean, God, Quinn Hughes comes in. He's like, this is an awesome one to inherit, right? The bar was relatively low. So it's all about the previous <laughs> regime and what they've done and then who you're inheriting it from. He'll tell you that for free. And, and I also no, think <laughs> you just can't separate those comments specifically, but Bo Horvat's entire tenure from the chaos and the frustration of the Jim Betting regime, right? Like that's all ultimately what he's talking about man it was really really tough and are there any Canucks fans that disagree with that that disagree that the end of the betting era was really really tough and chaotic and not particularly fun and Bo Horvat's acknowledging it now that doesn't mean you have to think he's a great captain but come on like we know what he's talking about here it was not fun the Canucks experience was not fun before Bo Horvat left Uh, I like that in the notes and by the way Jamie does exemplary prep work here just to get ready Oh, yeah. This three-hour three odyssey in the morning. Uh, it's kind of wild when you step back and look at Horvat's place in Canucks history. Tenth in scoring, eighth in goals. All the guys with more goals scored than him are either got their numbers in the rafters yeah, or, or in the ring of honor. honor. And, I'm, I mean, I don't even – look, I'm not prepared to start um, – a debate on where Bo should land because the ring of honor slash retired Jersey thing, it's too far down the road and it's too messy and too chaotic to do right now. Right now I can only stomach 
whether or not he's going to get booed and what his legacy is now that he's got his first tour back. But you, when you look at his body of work, if you're able to take that historical step back and look at it within the context of the organization, there's not a lot of guys that have done as much on no. the ice as Horvat did during the near decade that he was here from draft to trade, right? And if you talk about significant uh, hallmark moments within the last decade or so, the trade of Corey Schneider, who, by the way, we're going to have on the show tomorrow. Is that correct? We are, yes. Yeah, he's now working as an analyst for MSG, correct? Uh, yeah, an NHL network, yeah. Okay, so the trade where Schneider went to, and I was on the draft floor in New Jersey when it happened, that was a profound moment. Yep. That was a big moment in the franchise's history. Being named one of the handful of captains in Canucks history, that is a big moment. Um, you know, we just kind of belittled what the bubble meant across the NHL, but the performance that Horvat put forth in the bubble was one of the better individual efforts that we've seen in the playoffs from a Canuck over the last decade. So there's a lot there, and there's a lot of statistical merit and moments in a dark time yeah. that he should be celebrated for, but it's just not that simple. It's really complex. So the phone lines we go, the play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks right here on Sports Sportsnet 650. Brendan Batchelor here on the Halford & Bruff Show. What up, Batch? Good morning. Good morning. Gentlemen, how are you? Uh, we are well. How are you doing? How are you preparing for Boa Palooza? Are you hydrating regularly? <laughs> are you working on a couple different ways to work in? I'll tell you that for free. How are you getting prepped for Wednesday's game, Batch? Well, I'll definitely try to work in. I'll tell you that for free at some point. But right. um, yeah, you know, other than that, uh, I'm just interested to see what the reaction is like for him. You know, as we talked about last week, I hope that uh, Canuck fans can recognize that he was an important part of this team and, you know, an important member of our community for, uh, you know, a good number of years here and, and sort of let one comment you know, slide and, and give him the, the reaction and the recognition he deserves. But I'll be interested to see if it's mixed when the Islanders take to the ice tomorrow night in Vancouver. What would you say Bo Horvat's legacy as a Canuck is going to be, Batch? Uh, that's a really interesting question. Wow, thank you. Uh, a guy that a guy that did his best through a tough era for this group, I think. You know, if I think about Hallmark Bo Horvat moments, I, I look back to the bubble playoffs where uh, he was a, a force and, and scored a couple of really big goals in that series against St. Louis. Um, you know, he was he was a consummate professional, you know, um, never really ruffled feathers for the most part, you know, um, said the right thing in the media all the time, you know, was was part of, you know, some of the, the social causes that were important to the organization uh, and always spoke well in, in that regard, I thought. So those are the kind of things that I will remember about Horvat. I think, you know, a, a good statesman for this team through an era where they didn't have a lot of success on the ice, which is unfortunate because I think he really wanted to win here and really wanted to stay here. Uh, and ultimately it didn't end up happening that way. You know, as you say, a tough era that he was here for a lot of bad teams. And I do wonder, even though, you know, he was drafted obviously before Jim Benning joined the team and then traded after Jim Benning leaves as general manager. But I do think if we look back in five, 10 years, Bo Horvat's probably going to end up be be the player we most associate with the Jim Benning era. And for a lot of those reasons, right, good player, but just the flaws and the flaws of, of the organization just ultimately standing in the way from anything more, anything better happening while he was here. 
Yeah, he'll be right up there with Louis Erickson and Oliver Ekman Larson in terms of players <laughs> that will be associated with the Jim Benning era. But yeah, you know, that's it. And, you know, I, I think Horvat at times was was not put in situations to succeed, obviously, in terms of team success. But, um, you know, it was only really in the last couple of years that that he sort of evolved, especially last season, into a a top-level scorer for this group. Um, But, you know, I I think another important part of Horvat's legacy is, to a certain extent, how he outperformed expectations. You know, I can remember when he was drafted and and you looked at the style of his game and, and you weren't necessarily saying he could be a number one center for this team or, you know, is he going to be a bottom six guy going forward? We remember that playoff series against Calgary. He was playing down the lineup, but played very well uh, in his rookie year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and you know, to, to see him sort of blossom into the goal scorer that he became later in his Canucks tenure, I think was a bit surprising. And so that probably may be part of Horvat's legacy as well, although I think this era, you're right, is going to be remembered less for individual performances and more for the lack of success of the team overall. But, you know, in some ways, Horvat outperformed my expectations of him too. We're speaking to Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, we have spoken quite a bit about these Islanders. You know, I, if Horvat's not there, they're not nearly as interesting a story, but there's still a lot there, the Barzell factor, given his ties locally and everything. And then there's their form coming into this. Like, we just talked to Mark Spector from Sportsnet, who got to watch him last night in that 4-1 loss to Edmonton, and he kind of gave them the big meh when he was doing his recap and review of what the Islanders are all about. He thought they were the better team through two periods, but they don't really have a lot of offensive weapons and they struggle to score goals. And last night was another example of that. We're only able to put one past Stuart Skinner. So in your pre-scout and prep for this one, what have you noted about the Islanders thus far? Losers of five coming into Wednesday's game at Rogers Arena. Yeah, you know, the the lack of offense is is certainly notable. Brock Nelson leads their team with six goals. Um, you know, so they're they're not as I don't know what the right word would be, but you know, in the past few years we've seen really good Islanders teams, you know, teams that went to the conference finals in back-to-back years and uh this team is not those teams. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see from a Canucks perspective how they perform because um, sometimes the first game off a road trip can give you some trouble. Um, you know, when you look at the the totality of the performances from the three games out in Eastern Canada, I think, you know, guys inside that dressing room would tell you that there's room for them to improve. Um, and, you know, with a, another busy week with, you know, three games in four nights, I'll be interested to see if Smith goes again tomorrow against the Islanders because then you've got a divisional matchup in Calgary on Thursday and you might earmark Demko for that one or, or do you do the the opposite of that? I guess we'll wait and see but um, you know it's another game where you expect the Canucks to be favorites and you know as we go forward here that's not something that's happened a lot to this team in recent years so it kind of you know reverts back to what Rick Tockett has talked about which is dealing with prosperity and how you manage that and how you manage being the team that's expected to win on certain nights and you know I think It'll be another test for the Canucks in that regard, not in the same way as if you were playing, uh, you know, a top 
five, top ten team in the league, but a test of, of some of the underlying things that have maybe been slipping in your game a little bit of late in terms of can you get back to those staples that talk it talks about and execute to a high level against a team that on paper you should be beating. On the subject of Casey DeSmith, uh, one, how impressed are you with how well he's played this year, but also the volume that he's been able to shoulder so far? Yeah, I think the two go hand in hand. Um, He's able to shoulder more volume because of how well he's playing. And on top of that, uh, because of how well the team has done to start the year. If, you know, the Canucks had had another 0-5-2 start or something like that, then maybe Rick Tockett is is less likely to go to Casey DeSmith, for example, two out of three games on a road trip like he just did uh, because you're needing points every night. You know you're already behind the eight ball. You're trying to catch up. Well, this year it's the opposite. You've created a bit of a cushion for yourself, and while you don't want to rest on your laurels by any means, uh, if they can continue to you know either extend this cushion that they've created extend the gap between themselves and some of the other teams in the Pacific Division or just you know play good hockey so that they they have the upper hand going forward then it you know, it makes the coaching staff more comfortable that they can get DeSmith in there more often, especially if he continues to play well. And then, you know, that's good for for team confidence, for team success and for Thatcher Demko in terms of getting him uh, enough rest that he can be and you hope into the playoffs, too. So um, it's important that the coaching staff staff has confidence into Smith because then they're not going to ride the wheels off Demko but also this you know strong start to the season is important for DeSmith's prospects in terms of the number of games he might get too because uh, you know if you're not chasing two points on a nightly basis then you feel more comfortable going to him and you feel more comfortable going to him because of how well he's played as well yeah I'm going to be really interested to see who's in goal for the Canucks uh, tomorrow night batch because obviously a premier game with Bo Horvat coming back and maybe that uh, points towards Thatcher Demko, but then you do have the two divisional games, including the back-to-back with Calgary and then Seattle on the weekend as well. And, you know, you would love to roll out Thatcher Demko and really add to the misery that the Flames and the Kraken are feeling right now. You know, we've talked so much about the Oilers, but really, Mike and I were talking earlier in the show, you look at the Western Conference in general, there's a lot of struggling teams, including teams that people thought were going to be in the playoff mix this year. How surprised are you by the relative weakness of the Pacific Division and the Western Conference as a whole this season so far? Very surprised. Um, You know, I've said this a couple of times, but you know, as we all do when, you know, the, the season is approaching or it's it's the middle of the summer and you're chatting with friends or whatever, people always, you know, inevitably ask, oh, how are the Canucks going to be this year? Uh, and I said they're going to be better but it's going to be tough for them in the Pacific Division. You know, coming into the season, I looked at it and you said Vegas is going to be there, Edmonton's going to be there, LA's been good, and the Canucks will kind of be battling it out with the likes of Seattle and Calgary and then some of the teams in the Central Division for one of the wild card spots. When in fact, um, you know, you, you see the gap that the Canucks have extended over both the Flames and Oilers who, um, you know, to me, it's absolutely shocking how dreadful both of those teams have been to start this year and how big of a gap there is already it's what 13 points 
with the Flames and 14 points with the Oilers as we sit here on November 14th. I, I did not have that on my bingo card at all from a Pacific Division perspective. And, uh, you know, I, I hearken back to the comments that Jim Rutherford made at the start of the year when he, he said sort of everything's going to have to go right for us to be a playoff team. And I think Rutherford was speaking more internally about, you know, staying healthy, top players performing to their level, getting important depth contributions, Demko bouncing back and having a good year. And all of those things have happened too. But the fact that, you know, everything has gone better than you could have expected from outside of what the Canucks can control in terms of the, the relative weakness of the Pacific Division and the, the, the Western Conference as well, it just has set up a, a perfect scenario for this group where, you know, they've capitalized on a strong start to the year and give them credit for that. But they're also benefiting from the fact that a number of other these team uh, other of these teams are absolute tire fires too. And uh, from a Canucks perspective, long may it continue for them because uh, with every passing day that the Oilers or the Flames don't battle back or, or start to get on a winning run, uh, you can, you know, more confidently say that this Vancouver team is is heading towards a playoff spot. Batch, one of the things that's gone well uh, among many, many things that have gone well for the Canucks is the performance of their bottom six so far this year. And with uh, with Teddy Bluger coming back, I mean, really, you've got 13 forwards, healthy forwards right now in the roster, but I think you feel pretty good about playing on any given night. It was Niels Hoaglander who came out to make way for Teddy Bluger, but Hoaglander, I think, has acquitted himself very well so far this season. How do you think it's a good problem to have, but it is uh, it is something to be to be managed, I think, for the coaching staff. How do you think they will manage the balance of, you know, keeping everyone fresh, keeping everyone engaged, but you don't want to make changes just for the sake of making changes either in that bottom six? Yeah, I think the the operative word is internal competition, and it's something we hear about all the time, whether it's, you know, in training camp or or whenever it might be, but there is legitimate internal competition now to have a spot in the lineup on a night-to-night basis if you're in the bottom six. You know, we've seen Dakota Joshua scratched this year. Niels Hoaglander's been scratched this year. Um, you know, I, I, based on the way they've played, I, I don't expect guys like Suter or Lafferty to be scratched anytime soon because, you know, they've they've been good depth performers for this group, but there's a level of accountability that, that Rick Tockett has now for guys that play down his lineup where you know if you don't have it or you you have a bad five game stretch then he can absolutely sit you out of the lineup because you've got you know strong options on the wings in particular uh, able to come back into the lineup and the return of Bluger makes that situation even even more interesting because Lafferty comes out of the middle and goes back to the wing so um, coming off a winning performance in Montreal it wouldn't surprise me if Hoaglander's a scratch again tomorrow but you know that to me is a great problem to have where the coaching staff can hold the players down the lineup accountable so that if um, you know if guys aren't going or if you don't like their game or if they're getting away from the staples of the game as talk it would say then maybe you'll sit for a game or two. And you know what? If the team's going well and you're out of the lineup, who knows when you're going to get back into it? Look at a guy like Jack Studnika, who's sat most of this season after having a really good training camp. On top of that, you know, they've got Niels Oman in Abbotsford, Vasily Podkolzin in Abbotsford, although he's, you know, dealing with uh, with injury recovery and things like that. But there are depth options on the wing that could come up from the AHL as well. So, um, you know, particularly on the wings, I think, more than any any other position for this organization guys have to be aware that if they can't 
you know, keep their game to a high level, they may very well be sitting in the press box. And that'll only be good for this group because it'll it'll motivate guys to continue to play the way that has allowed this, this team to have success to start the year. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.